this evening we're going to look. The topic this evening is the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ, which um, the boss set before he went off to do uh, sunny climbs. <laughs> uh, you, don't, you don't know Laurie, our rector's on on sabbatical. He's currently in South Africa. We love him dearly, and we want to have a great time. But he keeps sending pictures of sunny beaches and, and lovely meals they've had and pictures of lions and safari parks. It's like, leave it alone. <laughs> it's freezing here. <laughs> We're straight. Okay, that's the, I'm now one short. Okay. <laughs> um, but before he went, he, he put the plan together for this term. And so this evening's talk is, is about the, the blood of Christ. And I'm going to want to say, I know, you, I know you're kind to me and you love me, but let's be honest, you don't really come to hear me talk. We come for worship. Amen? amen. That's what Encounter's about. Who said amen? Who else said amen very confidently? Someone? Oh, thank you, Cathy. Um, and so the geography, what we plan to do, I'm going to talk through a bit of Hebrews, Hebrews 9 and 10, right? Um, I know where it's going to land. I know where it's going to start. Uh, I don't quite know how far it will go in the middle, um, where, where the writer of the Hebrews uh, talks quite a lot about, about significance of the blood of Christ using the picture of the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system. And then we'll take communion together, because that's the thing that, that we do, uh, to de- declare victory and to declare and enforce the victory of Jesus. Um, and we'll do that in the way we normally do. Uh, Bread and wine, I'll do a, a sort of Anglican um, conf- uh, consecration, confirmation, consecration prayer uh, for that. But we'll do it fairly simply, is that okay? And then we'll continue in worship after that. Does that make sense? That'll be part of our worship. So that's the shape of this evening. As always, if you have like um, words or pictures that the Lord gives you for somebody else, just go and share it with them um, at an appropriate time. If you have words and pictures you think of for everybody, it's probably best you come and tag either me or die, uh, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll like sort of share it or weigh it. Um, make sense? With that preamble, let's just be quiet for a moment and come into Father's presence and just ask the Lord God to be manifestly present in our thinking, in our worship, and in our response to his word. Well, we just want to thank you for this time to draw aside from uh, the world, from ironing school uniforms or whatever, to be intentionally, Lord, quiet in your presence, to hear your word, to worship you, and to allow your spirit, that space, to speak into our hearts and lives. Holy Spirit, be here this evening. We just invite you and welcome you. Holy Spirit, you're always with us. Well, I always want that to be intentional this evening and very much an intentional manifest thing. In the name of Jesus, amen. So if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to Hebrews, well, we're going to Hebrews 9, but I'm going to start... I'm just going to start off with the, verse for, the first verse from Hebrews 10. So Hebrews 10 verse 1 um, is where we're going to start and then go back to the beginning of chapter 9 and work through some stuff. 
If you have an NIV, you know the, the, the section headings in the NIV are uh, not bad, but they're not part of the text. All right? So um, when it says the blood of Christ above verse 11, that's pretty true. But that's not part of the text. That's just some author thinking this is roughly telling you where we're going. But the bit that we're looking at, first, well, first of all, look at verse, chapter, chapter 10, verse 1. Because the writers of the Hebrews, I, 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 forgive me if I say Paul at some point. I've been preaching two Corinthians so long, it's hard not to say. Um, but we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. No one, it's not declared. The church wasn't that sure early on. Um, if you read commentaries and things, they always say, the, our author says, or the author says, because no one really knows. Um, but if I, I, may, I may slip and say Paul at some point. But our author says, the law is only the shadow, he says, of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians, and they understood the old covenant, the old system, the law, to put it in a simple word. And this section of Hebrews, in fact quite a lot of it really, uh, wants to build on their understanding of the Old Testament system to make sense and give them a model and a shape for the truth of what Jesus has now done. And, and, and this is quite, a, I don't know, it's quite a strong statement. The law is only a shadow. I mean, the law... And, and, the, and the temple system and the sacrificial system and all the stuff that Moses gave the people of Israel, I mean, for, for one and a half thousand, nearly two thousand years, that was the way that God said his people had to come to him. That's the way it worked. And it wasn't for them just a shadow. It was a, you know, a life thing. And, and, and they get told off in the Old Testament all the time for not doing what they're told to do, for not going off and giving their sacrifices and all that stuff that they, they should be doing. And there's a lot of it. You know, read Leviticus, it goes on. There's a lot of it. But the whole of that thing, our writer says, was only a shadow of the things that was to come, what was coming in Jesus. And, and clearly it had to work. You know, a lot of things are like that in a way in God's kingdom. I mean, it has to work for that one and a half thousand years. But it really is, just points the way to what God was going to do in Jesus. That's the real plan. That's the, that's the final thing. That's what God was aiming for. And so many aspects, uh, we can look back and see many aspects of what, was, what God was teaching his people through that system. A whole system of how to live and how to get forgiveness for sins and how to, all the stuff. Uh, is for looking forward, it, it, it foreshadows. It's, it's a picture of what Jesus has done. The reality is in Christ. I, I was reading actually um, uh, a thing the, the other day which was talking about us when we you know, talk about the Old Testament as Christians and preachers or whatever. Uh, and and you've got to do, you must treat it properly. It made sense in its own context. You know, when Leviticus 17.14 was written, which says the life of the animals in the blood, it made sense to the people reading it. But it also all points forward to the gospel. God, God, God knew what he was going to do. The prophets... May have seen bits, but they didn't really get it in full. But when Isaiah's writing his stuff and Jeremiah's writing his stuff, even you know, Amos, which I find much harder to work out, they're all looking for that God is talking. And all of them, in all of it, there's truth about the gospel, the good news in Jesus. Amen? And, and that's what our is going to do here. And I therefore want to pull through a little bit of some of this stuff. And because of who we are, I'll have to say a bit more about the old system 
to picture what it means for the new system, for what Jesus has done. So we're going to go back to Hebrews 9. If you've got your Bibles, go back to Hebrews 9, verse 1. And again, our author says, The first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up in its first room was the lampstand, the table, the consecrated bread, and this was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, or the holy of holies, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. The ark contained the golden jar of manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the stone's tablets of the covenant. And so uh, he goes back and talks about, not the law really, in the, in the ordinances and the regulations, he talks about the tabernacle, the place that God told the Israelites to build, to have. It was a tent in the wilderness, and weirdly he goes back to the tent version, not to the temple version, because they then built temples, didn't they? You know, Solomon's temple and then the later one that Jesus saw. But he goes back to the tabernacle, the original thing, a tent. And he says in this tent there was like two bits. There's like an outer bit and then an inner bit. And I'm not going to go away with the symbolism. He says, I haven't got time to talk about the symbolism, the outer bit. What he wants to talk about is the fact that in that symbolism, in that system, the inner section, the most holy place or the holy of holies, was sort of seen where that's where God was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. That's where the, the glory would be. Right? And in that ark, there were these stone tablets of the law and, and the, the, the remembrances, um, Aaron's rod that body in the manner of their release from Egypt, their salvation. And of course, into that inner bit, uh, the priests went into the outer bit quite a lot daily and did all their stuff. But they only go into the inner bit once a year on the Day of Atonement. And only the high priest then. It's very limited, that access to the inner section of that. And the Jews who were reading this letter would know that uh, and understand that. There's a couple of interesting things here. Just there's loads of stuff if you want to dig into this, by all means do. The bit that struck me on the way past, and you probably didn't even notice it, but if you did, brilliant. Because he says, behind the second curtain, verse 3, was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense. Which it didn't, actually. Uh, any of you reading this would, th in English, would think, whoa, what do you mean? No, the altar of incense is in the outer bit. And there's a lot of scholarly argument about this. And our versions look like it looks like he's saying it was in the inner bit, yeah? But actually, reading Exodus, it was definitely in the outer bit. However, it was right next to the inner bit. And the idea was the incense you offered, the smoke and that smelly stuff, looked like propagate, is that the right word for it? Drift into the holy place, into the holy bit, the holy of holies, the most holy place. And you can, I, I, the commentators say that the Greek is not well interpreted. It's better to say that it was by it or how it has it. The holy place, the most holy place has the altar of incense. It doesn't say it's in it, it's part of it. And incense, of course, is a weird thing, isn't it? I mean, some churches still do that, I know. Uh, but, but it sort of represents the sort of prayers and the aspirations of the saints, doesn't it? It's a picture, right, of stuff going in. Um, I guess also to make it smell nice as well. I think there's a lot of practical things often within sense in churches. But it, it, it represents something about aspirations and prayers and desires of the people penetrating in to the holy of holies. 
but only in the old system, once a year, did the high priest go in. And then, our writer says, only with blood. Here we go, verse 6. When everything was arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry out the ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room. And that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Never without blood, because nothing in the old system, whenever there's a forgiveness, whenever there's a, a sin, whenever there has to be someone forgiven, whenever it comes to the point of view of people saying, I'm sorry, I'll do something wrong, it always has to be by blood. There's always bloodshed. It's blood of animals, and that's why I just quoted a minute ago, it's in Leviticus 17, 14, is it? Um, don't worry, Paul, don't look it up. Uh, where, the, you know, where, where God says... The life, the soul of the animal is in the blood. There's something symbolic about that. And, and the blood that the high priest sheds when he goes into the inner... He first wants to sacrifice his own sin. The idea is that, that if you know you've sinned in the old covenant, then you can offer a sacrifice for it. Right? And that sort of covers it. If you've just done something, broken the law somehow or other, you've become unclean by touching a dead body or whatever, then you can offer an appropriate sacrifice. But the high priest goes into the inner sanctum, that once a year, he offers a sacrifice for the sins the people have committed in ignorance, right? Covering out other stuff. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was standing. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifice being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. And what, the, what, what our author is saying here is that, okay, there were rules and obligations and, and there were sacrifices marked up for what you had to do. But these things only cleanse the external if you disobeyed the laws of Moses and done some stuff wrong, then there's an appropriate sacrifice. There's two conflicting things here, I think. One is that there has to be a life given. There has to be bloodshed in the old system to forgive sins. And he's going to make a lot of that, of course. I don't know if I fully understand all this. All I know is that's the way the book put it out. There's loads of things I don't fully understand. There's loads of stuff in the cosmos I don't fully understand. Blow it. I don't. I, I quoted this morning at the beacon about, you know, if you drop things, things fall. If you choose to be a Christian, you will suffer. It's like, uh, seems to be the way stuff is. And I, I, I can write some good equations down for gravity, but I don't think I fully understand it. Um, I can write the tensor calculus for, the, for general relativity, but it, <laughs> it's, it's difficult stuff. And that's really, really obvious physical stuff that we all know about. And we're trying to understand that the laws of the cosmos in a spiritual sense, I don't think anyone can understand those. People, theologians, try and make theories, bless them. But they're always going to be approximations, amen? They're always going to be, from our understanding we see this. And our, our writer here is trying to give us a model to get some aspect of it. To get some understanding of how significant the death of Jesus was and how the blood of Christ covers all our sin. And of course, it's not, in a sense, technically the blood. It's the life that's given for the blood. Even in the Old Testament, it's the blood that gets thrown around. But it's technically the fact that life has been given, and that gives an animal life. And so our writer, the writer here is saying, look, in the Old Covenant, these, these sacrifices, there had to be blood to cover it. 
But it's quite clear they weren't sufficient. They cover the ceremonial stuff, but not the conscience, not the, not the real problem of the barrier between us and God, between sin. And the Old Covenant shows that by this separation where the Holy of Holies is a very special place that only one person could enter and only once a year with lots of things. On the Old Covenant, that's the way it was. But he wants to talk about the blood of Jesus. So he goes on, verse 11, and says, So comparing with that, when Christ came as high priest of good things that are already here, or maybe that are to come, the word can interpret both ways. Jesus has come as the high priest of the new system. We've got access into God's presence through his death on the cross and his resurrection, and that has come. Amen? But that is also about to come. It's not only here, it's coming. If you read the versions here, you'll find some versions go, uh, I think the NIP's got a footnote, hasn't it? That are already here, bottom, or are to come. (laughs) Right? Yep. The, the, The truth, what Jesus has done by dying on the cross, the blood of Christ covers for all our sins. It has come. I am forgiven. It is, whoosh, done. But it is coming. Because I won't fully enter into the truth of that until until heaven, until Jesus comes again, or I go to heaven. Um, hopefully closer for me than some of you guys, but that's, that's what it'll be for. It's not consummated, it's not complete, but it is done and finished. We're always in the gospel, always in that now but not quite thing, where it's absolutely done, but it's still about to be, to be finalised and finished. Anyway, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not part of this creation. That blows my mind, by the way, in a way. Not part of this creation. I don't, the biblical authors did not have a very good cosmology. They didn't really understand about, about how huge. They had no idea that there's 10,000 million stars in our galaxy and 10,000 million galaxies. They had no idea about the sheer scale of creation. They had no idea, really. They have a very limited view of that. But they know the truth, and the Holy Spirit speaks it. The place Jesus went into, heaven if you like, use our word for it, is not part of this creation. It is a part of God's creation, but not part of this creation. The place, the place, the, the, the region, the, the, the experience, the, the, whatever it is, I haven't really got words for it, where, where the Holy Spirit and my spirit and Jesus, like, work together is not part of this creation. We've got lots of words for it. We call it heaven or spiritual. Now, it interacts. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and and, 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 and the, this creation is amazing. And it has, it, it's always got pictures. Like where the law was like a, like a um, shadow of the things that are to come. Everything that's true in the spiritual is true in the natural. The natural is made by God. It's the same God. But Jesus doesn't enter like my grandma. My grandma really thought the heaven was like up the clouds somewhere. You know, if you had a fast enough plane, you'd get to it. It was up there somewhere. And I'm sure, actually, quite a lot of people who wrote this stuff sort of had that cosmology. Right? Genesis certainly has the water and the earth and stuff, doesn't it? But they get the truth <laughs> that it's not part of this creation. And, and Jesus enters that spiritual place. The tabernacle not made by hands. It still has a holy of holies. You see, the shadow of the things to come is built to an instruction that God gives to be a model or a picture of reality. 
The reality isn't the tent in the desert. The reality is heaven. But God gives us a picture of it, right? Because we need pictures. We need models. Because we can't deal with it, in a sense, absolutely. We have, uh, blessed Jesus, you know, all those parables he tells. They're all to make a point, aren't they? Yeah? Fantastic way of teaching in lots of ways. Jesus enters heaven, the spiritual realm. And that is where God's presence is. Now, the, ten, the Holy of Holies, the Jews had this idea that's where God lived. And, and clearly, we think that's quite limited. But for them, that was the place where the high priest went in and, you know, once a year and had this experience of, of God and they had the cherubim on the ark and all that stuff. For us, it's not that. For us, we enter in to the Holy of Holies, but it's a tabernacle, not a part of this creation. This world is not my home, that old song used to sing. I'm just a passing through. There's something quite, we don't often, I think, quite get the depth of what Jesus has done by making us alive spiritually. How much our life is hidden with Christ. How we're alive in the spiritual realm. How that is where our real life is and lies. But of course, our real life's here as well. <laughs> and the two work together at the moment. Jesus isn't though. Jesus bodily was here, our men. But he goes in to that, high, that tabernacle, that Holy of Holies. That's where his presence really now is. And that's where we commune with him. We have access to that through his blood. The high priest goes into the Holy of Holies with the blood of uh, goats and ash and stuff. We have access through the blood of Christ. There are lorries, I, I remember not long ago, talking about the 13 models of the atonement. Of, of, of why is it that Jesus had to die? Why did Jesus have to die for our sins? And there's 13, apparently 13 things that theological colleges teach about ways you might explain it. Tell you what, I have no idea. It's just the truth, right? It's just the truth. And we've got models that might make sense of it. God says, this model is, there's no forgiveness without the law. If you've done something wrong, there has to be a life. If you've something that deserves death, and all sin deserves death, the wages of sin is death. If you've done something wrong and deserves death, there's got to be a death. You kill the animal, throw the blood around, and that's the Old Testament way, right? And for Jews who understood that, that's a good model of why Jesus had to die. Jesus dies as the perfect sacrifice. But, but if you want, if you really ask me, I don't fully get why it has to be like that. Why does something have to die, God? Why can't you do it any other way? I don't know. All I know is that's what the truth says. That's what the truth says. And by God, by Jesus, I'm so glad that it works. I don't need to know I don't need to know how gravity works to jump off things. Amen. I don't need to understand fully how water goes down a plug hole and I don't. The equations for fluid dynamics are really really messy, but I can still empty my bath out by pulling the plug out. Right? Yeah. I can I, I don't fully understand. I really don't. Why Jesus had to die and how it works. I just know it does. I just know for a certainty that it's his death on the cross and his blood shed, his life given, which does it. Now look, there's this verse, oh my word, um, 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 verse 14. How much more than how have we got on the screen? Yeah, go forward a bit. I can go on forever here, and probably will. 
He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves. He entered the holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean to sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, verse 14, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit as a spiritual sacrifice, I mean, he was a physical sacrifice too. He died on the cross, for goodness sake. Through the eternal spirit, offered himself, his sacrifice is a self-giving, obedient sacrifice. The cows and the goats that the um, priests killed had no choice in the matter. Uh, there's some evidence they were stunned first before their throats were cut, which is nice. But they, they may be unconscious, but even so, they had no, no choice. Jesus' sacrifice is a self-chosen thing. He chooses to go in obedience to the Father. Yeah? Through the Spirit, offered himself unblemished. Jesus is the unblemished one. There is no sin in him. When he talks about in the garden, the enemy coming, he says he has no hold on me. Because Jesus is uniquely amongst uh, people uh, without sin. He has no need to die for himself. He doesn't have to offer a sacrifice for himself and then for the people. His sacrifice of himself is for the people. He has a right to enter. There's no high priest going in, has to sacrifice something for himself and then for the sins of the people. Did you get it? But our writer says, no, Jesus is not like that. His act sacrifice of himself is just for the people because he can go in. Uh, how much more will that, verse 14, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And he ties together those two things. We need to be forgiven and have our conscience. You know, there, 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 I am the same at times. I sometimes feel, oh my word, I'm just a, such a failure. Laurie's phrase is dirty, rotten sinner, isn't it? But I do shower regularly, so I'm just a, I'm just a rotten sinner. All right? But I'm not. <laughs> I really am not. My conscience should be clear. When I, feel, when I feel like, you know, oh, I'm just awful, that is not Holy Spirit speaking, is it? Is it? That's, the enemy sometimes does that. Makes you feel generally, like, useless. But it's not what, no, because my conscience is clear, because it's covered by Jesus' blood. His blood just covers it. How much more, a writer says, will that sacrifice of that perfect spotless lamb, freely given, by the Holy Eternal Spirit, by His Spirit, free us from everything that leads to death. So that, not so that we can sit around saying, hey, it's cool being a Christian, but so that we can serve the living God. Did I get that right? So that we may serve the living God, verse, verse um, in 14. Uh, Hebrews is quite dense in a way. And, and it, uh, it will pay, I'm, I'm, I say this quite regularly, I do these things, and I know very well uh, it's not likely to happen. But if you do get a chance to go home and read through chapter 9 in detail again, um, you'll find a lot more stuff there. I'm gonna, I'm, I could go through the rest of it. I'm going to jump, though, to where I want to land, which is chapter 10, verse 19. Uh, and let me just summarise it again. They're models to try and make you understand how important, how complete and how final what Jesus did on the cross was. And when we talk about the blood of Christ, we're talking not physically about the blood, but about the life he gave. 
about the fact that he offered himself as a spot with, as a lamb without blemish. And he offered it self-willingly, obediently. And that he's gone through and he's got a place for us and he's now in the, that tabernacle not made of hands in heaven. And all the promises that he can have gave to us about, I will not leave you as orphans, I'll come to you, I'll live with you, all are true in that. And there's a whole confidence in that. Whether or not Chris Clare understands it, it's just the truth. And we're there. But I want to just land on this paragraph uh, in, in chapter 10. Because the writer sort of moves away a bit in the end from the pure theology of it. And he says this, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, always in the New Testament, if it's brothers, it means brothers and sisters. Don't, don't get hung up by the, um, the male language here. Greek doesn't really have that, actually, just as said one or the other. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, we, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Again, he's picturing this thing between the holy place and the most holy place of the curtain. Of course, in the temple, there was a curtain like that. Did you know, by the way, in the second temple, so the first temple is the one Solomon built, or David and Solomon, Solomon did it. And in that one, apparently the ark was still there in the Holy of Holies. Um, and it had in it um, uh, the, the, the tablets, apparently, still. There's a lot, we're getting terribly close to films here and... Uh, Raiders of the Lost, Crus uh, Lost Crusade and Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's right, yeah. Um, but the second temple, the one that Jesus knew, the one that, that Herod built, the Holy of Holies was empty. There was just a stone plinth inside, apparently, in the Holy of Holies there. Right? Um, by that point, it had been lost or got rid of or whatever, and somewhere in Babylon, probably. Anyway, uh, that's by the by. Had I gone to this? Therefore, enter the most holy place, brother of Jesus, okay? We get to the mo our most holy place through the curtain is... The most holy place, not of this creation. That place where we are spiritual beings, alive with God. Where we are just in that presence. And part of me, that's really where I am. And times, I guess, partly why sometimes, sometimes I can encounter a really good. Because it's times like that when I can almost forget the pain in my foot where a slab of wood fell on it on yesterday. Do you know what I mean? And I just know that I love God and he loves me. And there's security there. And I guess, humanly speaking, that's partly why sometimes we just almost seek out those worship experiences because that's when we're sort of, you know, that's what happens in heaven. It's worship, isn't it? Right? I think it'll be sort of timeless, I think, but... but that, and sometimes it is timeless. Sometimes you sort of feel yourself lost in that sense of adoration. Am I getting... Get back to the text, Chris. Get back to the text, good boy. Uh, through a new way, by the God. And that is his body. Because it's all about Jesus giving of himself, his sacrifice on the cross. And since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near... Here we go. So let us... Because of all this stuff, because of this stuff, Paul, a writer then says... Paul, sorry. A writer then says, let us draw near to God. And I just love that because it's like this, you know, it's done and it's still happening. Okay. You know, we've got full access to this holy place. But he still says, let's draw near. Right. Now, it's like confusing. I, 
don't think I can be any closer to God than I am. I can't be more forgiven than I am. I cannot be more full of the Holy Spirit in a way than I am. But let's draw near with God. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. Do you get It's both there and not there. There's an element of us having still having to push in. Draw near with faith. We use those words in communion all the time. Draw near with faith, with faith. Because it's only faith in his blood that makes it work. But there's an element of having to be willing to draw near. And it, because of what he's done for us, we can, but we're encouraged to draw near. With a sincere heart. Amen. In full assurance of faith. Having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. I'm sure that talks a bit about baptism and the fact that we've come to a commitment to follow Jesus. Our consciences are sprinkled with blood and our bodies with pure water. We make that statement with our bodies that we want to follow Jesus and as we commit to following him and accept him as Lord, we receive that forgiveness. And let's consider, sorry, let us on, verse 23, let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful, and again, our writer is being aware that there is a risk of not holding unswervingly to the promises. That the enemy is at work in the world and will drag us away if we can. And let's consider, verse 24, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's consider how we can because it's together. And here, we need to encourage each other. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Let's encourage one another. And all the more, as you see, the day approaching, the day when Jesus will come again, and then there will be absolute clarity. It will be here. It won't be coming. It will become. It has come, but it is coming. But there will come a day when it's done. He goes on, by the way, to issue some warnings about taking it lightly. And he goes on to do that because, because he, he's aware what an amazing thing God has done in sending his son to die for us. And the more you think about it, the more you think, oh, my word, that is just, I just don't get it. It's awesome that Father would do that. And it's in that context of what a great salvation can be offered to us that we take it seriously. We don't treat it lightly at all. And guys, you're here tonight. I'm talking to the converted. I know the preaching to the converted because you're here because you take it seriously. The blood of Jesus gives us access to his presence. It gives us access to the Holy of Holies, to that most holy place, that inner tabernacle, thank you, not made as part of this creation where God himself invites us in. A people like you and me who are sinners and couldn't possibly come there by ourselves just be death. But we're forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus.